It's time for First Voices Radio with Tilkison Ghost Horse. Please stay tuned. What makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Joshua. You are listening to First Forces Radio and Tiokazin Ghost Tour sending you greetings in the lands of the Muncie speaking Lenape. This is an all native hosted, all native produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation is the producer of First Voices Radio. And we'll be talking with Anna Marie Hill, who is an enrolled member of the Red Lake Nation located in northwestern Minnesota. And it was while she was studying music and business at a private women's college in the southern part of the state that she realized the impact of inhumane treatment upon her father and family and became determined to somehow help right the wrongs that had devastated American Indian communities. After graduation, Anna Marie moved to the Minneapolis-St. Paul metropolitan area and began a career in the state legislature and government for more than a decade before taking the role of state government affairs director for Red Lake. After lobbying for Red Lake Nation for several years, Anna Marie went on to lead the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council as executive director for a decade. And it was during this time that the highly regarded and award-winning Why Treaties Matter exhibit in Dakota Ojibwe language revitalization program were developed. Anna Marie Hill currently works for the University of Minnesota Medical School's Duluth campus as a strategy and outreach director. Anna Marie is part of the Manti Lab, a research team led by neurologist and dementia specialist Dr. William Manti. The NIH-funded research project is to examine the APO gene's relationship with Alzheimer's disease in the American Indian population. Anna Marie remains active in the lobbying and advocating world for her people and provides professional and executive coaching and mentoring to many. Today we're going to talk about characteristics of recurrent visions of the non-physical world and among cognitively unimpaired elders of the Ojibwe tribal nations. And as we go along, you will see that there were also other Native peoples involved from many tribal nations. 
This is an article released late October off the JAMA network open in this cross-sectional study partnering with Ojibwe Tribal Nation in Minnesota. 33 cognitively healthy tribal elders aged 55 years or older were recruited. 16 or 48% reported frequent visions of the non-physical world that generally involved deceased ancestors or human spirits. These visions were transient, non-threatening, and carried spiritual significance. And a meaning of this study suggests that when a diagnosis of a hallucination can disqualify a patient for a new Alzheimer's disease-modifying therapy, physicians must carefully consider cultural context to avoid misdiagnosis of neuropsychotic disease. And the complication being the interpretation of hallucinations is the patient's culture or belief system. For example, a person seeing children in the kitchen who have no physical basis would likely be interpreted differently than a monastic individual experiencing a transient vision of a divine being. But little is known regarding how American Indian culture and spirituality can affect the interpretation of hallucinations in the context of a medical or neuropsychotic evaluation. The heterogeneity among American Indian tribal nations prevents any broad generalizations. In this study, the Ojibwe are the fifth most populous indigenous peoples in the U.S., and the study seeks to characterize spiritual experiences among Ojibwe elders that can inform physicians' diagnosis of a hallucination. And now to explain this report is Anna Marie Hill. How we're cognitively conversing about something that seems to be more of like, well, that's just gibberish or mumbo-jumbo, and because it really doesn't fit in the Western context of prove it to me, and here's the proof, and therefore we can believe it without ever having that spiritual experience that I know that most Native people have, and sometimes it's unexplainable, sometimes it is, and I think I'm going to begin by saying hello, and it's quite an honor to have you here, Anna Maria Hill on First Voices Radio. Welcome. Thank you, Buju, and it's good to be here. Um, so um, I just want to start with just a tiny bit more about me. Um, my, um, I, I think my greatest, the greatest thing I have in my life is my family and my children and my grandchildren now. Um, they're the most important people in my life. And my life is about, everything I do is about them. And I have three children. I say have. My oldest daughter would be 32. She died of cancer January 22nd of 2022. Breast cancer. Um, and so... And then I have a son, this amazing son, 22, brilliant, wonderful heart, and a 16-year-old. She's planning on being a medical doctor. Really some fabulous kids, three grandchildren without a mother, two boys and one girl. So they mean the most to me. And the reason I do my work is because of my of, of my family. Next, I consider my community, my family, and my my people, our people. And that's also why I do this work, why I do the work that I've always done. I was thinking some people say, oh, you, you know, it sounds so hokey. You say, you know, I really want to help people. Well, I mean, it really kind of comes down to that giving back. And I think some people just uh, quite commonly just want to give back 
something that's been given to them um what was given uh, you know to me um or or what i what i know so i just wanted to start by saying that and then segue i think into a little bit of what you were you were coming to is the um journal of american medical association article that came out um and it is to um i i helped uh why i'm a co-author on this uh, along with neil henderson choctaw nation who is perhaps one of our leading uh medical anthropologists um in the american indian anthropologists in the world um who has devoted his life to the syndemic which is two diseases working together the syndemic of diabetes and uh dementia and neil um was a co-author on this so will in this article it and throughout doing the research which has been some time now since we started uh the research up in the boys fort nation has we've all discussed this and and but he especially in his diagnosing which is he he does an actual full diagnosis the same thing you and i would get if we went to his neurology clinic he's a dementia neurologist um we would get that same one so our participants our american indian participants are receiving that uh full full uh diagnosis um which includes the interview you go through an interview process which is pretty pretty key it pretty it it's pretty good at identifying whether or not we have cognitive problems like dementia or memory is um going i'd hate to take it i haven't taken it yet so that's a common uh, people worry about their memory they come in and they tell me oh i think i have memory issues and it's actually quite normal these memory issues they're talking about i mean we all leave our keys around we all do things like that and then they also have an mri that shows them a scan of their brain um and then part of that is a blood test as well to show that what your levels are um the levels like your vitamin b vitamin b12 which is really significant in your cognitive abilities um so significant that it can cause or mimic severe like mental illness if you if you're vitamin b12 deficient um and things like i didn't know so uh having this full assessment and to date and i have to say this is uh really spectacular in the research and it's quite unheard of especially in the dementia research we have over 250 participants american indian participants in our research project it is a fully funded nih national institutes of health project um we went into boys fort anticipating that there would only be maybe a handful of people two hands full 10 people 12 people and we ended up um i ended up turning people away up, up there um who wanted to take part um and it was just a wonderful experience but to get to the article um his observation as as ours is always ongoing um but he observed very distinctly that many of the visions people spoke about having so they come in we come in and we get our test and we talk about well are you seeing anything i i imagine being that i haven't taken the test i i haven't experienced it but i imagine it's have you experienced any visions or anything different and if you're taking 
the test and going through those questionnaires with the dementia doctor, you might have a family member there with you and they might say, yeah, mom is seeing things. So, and mom is, uh, or dad is as, hey, you know, he's seeing his relatives and they're not there. And, um, and one of the dementias that uh, the one dementia that they diagnose is uh, Lewy body, um, Alzheimer's dementia. And it's specific because that one has those hallucinations that they record and has those, um, they see things or they hear things, they talk to people. And our experience, of course, is uh, in this progression of uh, an illness, perhaps, or in, in, in life. We experience those things in our world naturally. They're spiritual. And um, to us, it's like, well, how can others not experience them? <laughs> so, and he he um, just made the observation so many times that he brought that concept of writing the paper forward. And he said, um, to Neil and I, said, what, what do you think we should, we should do this? And, um, but, you know, he is the doctor. And he said, we should write on this because... Our fear, which is ongoing, is that we are wrongly diagnosed due to that cultural difference. Um, and so that is the paper that came out in the journal. Um, I, I believe uh, time gets away from me. It might have been just last week or even two weeks ago. Um, and it's it's quite a success. Now, I'm not a I'm not a doctor and I'm not a PhD and and anthropologist i'm not any of those things so i don't write for publication but he is a um he's a young dementia neurologist doctor um and wonderful training he came from the mayo um he's just got a wonderful background wise beyond his years i i after this long working in what i do i wouldn't work with somebody who who disregarded or didn't show that they, you know, very, very much cared about me or had an attitude or thought that they were better, which you could frequently find at the university level, or you can find even in, you know, greater uh, the PhD world, you you can find that it, it's obvious um, that you can and everyone knows that. And so he wrote on that and Neil and I reviewed it. And so did the rest of his staff who are working on it. He's got a team of people working with him and everyone just loves what they're doing. And we were so excited when they decided that um, they were going to publish this. This is a really big deal, especially for a new researcher. And the, the magnitude of this project is just really it's unheard in Indian country, the size of it. It's it's unheard of in the dementia world. Uh, you don't usually get that many participants. And it is it's stumping to a lot of people that even this kind of expose to to a different world, so to speak. And as you say, almost no information exists. And the article characteristics of the current visions of the non-physical world among cognitively unimpaired elders of the of the Ojibwe nation is the name of the article that you talked about. It comes out in the JAMA network. And um, I'm thinking about how, you know, how much this has been waited for, because there's plenty, as you say, you interviewed 250 Native people, mostly Ojibwe, and if not all Ojibwe, that dreams or visions or, or you know, experiencing other forms of, of living 
uh, as trees talking, animals talking, clouds talking, seeing your ancestors. All of these seem to be among Native people, a very standard way of accepting that there is another dimension, if that said, and that's not a playoff of dementia. Dementia, it's dimensions, and we accept that. And but you see, out of the the the, the secular dualistic Western world, that's not so acceptable because it's not. It doesn't make sense within the box. Yet the sciences that that I'm reading here is coming through in the context of of that cognitive evaluation you you were just talking about and your friend Neil Henderson. I, and I'm wondering, it was narrowed down to 37 tribal elders, and out of that, they were much older than 55 years old. And the, the, the outcomes, as you say, some were weeded out because of actual dementia, but others are engaged in seeing these ancestors, so to speak, non-threatening. They're not your average everyday Halloween ghost that will come out tomorrow. They're, they're almost acceptable and calming um, because I too have older uh, elders, elders actually, who tell me about these stories, who who accept that, and makes our world livable. Living in this society, which does not accept the native or indigenous way of thinking, you see where I'm going with that, and your comments. Well, I, I see where you're going with that, and as a matter of fact, you tied into something Neil told me about um, uh, late last week. Um, he told me that he recently saw a family. Um, he does this program called the Savvy Caregivers, and he does it for the entire state of Washington, for one. He's he's traveling all the time. He's supposed to be retired, but who retires in our community? Um, I, which is nice. I'm very glad about that. Um, and he, he went to a home, and the um, elder was um, part of looking, you know, what are the needs of the caregiver? He had we know the caregiver problem, you know, just on top of other problems, there's not enough, not enough funding, etc. Um, so he, um, the family, you know, when he was asking the questions, the family was talking about how um, the elder would see, you know, um, people outside or see the relatives and see the ancestors and, and how it was regarded in that household as a real honor to be a part of that to be a part of that stepping out and stepping into um being a part of that world that exists between here and there which i believe also exists for individuals who go through a death experience like that caring for an adult or someone like me a bereaved parent what happened to me is i fully believe that in the first year i was immersed in a different world that was between here and there um I don't have much to recall. I just know I was fully aware of it. I was not here. I was not there. I was in between. And I was certain of both sides. That's what I can say. And for me, um, I, you know, for all of us who are going to the doctor, we need a little bit of help. Um, and we would have been misdiagnosed. Oh, perhaps you need more meds or, you know, psychosis. Do you think you're having, do you think you're bipolar? Uh, if their uh, doctor asked me, do you think you're, and I'm like, no, I kind of studied bipolar enough throughout my lifetime to determine I don't have it. So, you know, and, um, the perspective is it, it was such an honor and i remember my father on his deathbed and liz 
as you know, my sister, uh, she probably has very different experiences, but he told me, he called me over and he was laying there, you know, and he had end-stage renal kidney disease. And he said, um, I saw my my relatives. They were, um, I saw them yesterday. He said, and they're, I'm going to go, go with them and I'm going to go home. And I said, that's amazing. You know, I knew enough myself to just say, wow, you know, how fortunate and blessing to be assured um, that there is, um, you will step through and step into the, and and walk on. Um, None of us have access to that, but we do have access. We have access through our elders. We have access through individuals that are experiencing it. One thing I also know and what I've observed in this um, and this dementia and Dr. I call him Dr. Will. So it's easier than Dr. Manti. Also, because, I mean, when he first started, I thought, well, we have to have a nickname for him. And Dr. Phil is a head doctor and Dr. Will is a head doctor. So we'll just call him Dr. Will. And so it's caught on. Everyone calls him Dr. Will and he absolutely loves it. Um, So. It doesn't necessarily mean that that elder is going to pass at that moment, you know, or something's going to happen at that moment. It doesn't mean, oh, tomorrow you're going to, you know, you're going to enter the spirit world. Um, But it may be an ongoing thing. So the diagnosis is really important. Mm -hmm. You say this is probably a long time coming. I will attest in all the years I've worked research with our population, which, by the way, we still refer to it as American Indian in Minnesota for various reasons. I'm led by the state government still, the tribal leadership, and I'm led completely by the laws and the treaties, how they wrote it there. I don't want any mistakes. I was told that by our advisors, our legal advisors. We get we get word funny over here. We could say things and we could call it different things, but we start putting it in legislation And then you got somebody sitting here that's going to, you know, call you out and say, well, that's not what you mean. You know, you mean this, you mean that. That's not what you mean. It's not what it says here. So I I say American Indian and not to any offend anyone, but for very specific reason, it has been so it uh, throughout my years working at the Capitol and advocating for our people from everything from health disparities to education disparities to you name it, even like issues working on the land and many issues I know very little about, but had to collectively learn about. Um, One thing remains, we're disappearing from the data. And I saw that happening about uh, 10, 15 years ago, is I would look on, you know, I would be preparing a testimony for the legislature and here would come and something on the news talking about the very thing we were talking about, such as an education uh, study or some other research entity to this study. And I would make note that the uh, communities that were studied in that were no longer our population. And there's, there's, there's reasons for that. We know that one is that um, as we maintain probably one to two percent of the population in the United States maintain and have some incremental growth. We're also decreasing, but other populations are increasing. And what that's tied to quite simply is voting power, power out there. You know, uh, um, the masses call, you know, unfairly the masses call the shots. I have been devoted to changing that far long before I came into this research project to do this work. Um, and I've harped, 
trust me, I've harped on people. You know, we have to we have to get out. We have to have more. And so of the tribal leadership. It's long overdue. And now I want to say that we have something called Alzheimer's dementia, which we didn't talk about back when I was in Indian Affairs. We didn't know. And it became what can you say known a movement the dementia doctors the people who've been working on it have known but now we know our instances of dementia which is cognitive problems developed by a whole host of things making you incapable of taking care of yourself on a daily basis like a car accident diabetes a disease something goes in your brain that's dementia but alzheimer's is is a brain disease and Dr. Mantai is a brain doctor, and I'm Dr. Will is a brain doctor, and he's working on, you know, what's exactly going wrong in the brain. And our study is the first um, inclusion of a greater study that's happening in all populations. And when Dr. Will saw the data, he was doing some studying. He, he was hooked up with Neil, and they started talking about it. There were only two American Indian participants out of 40,000 for this development out of to this new drug that's going to have 90% accuracy in diagnosing. And that's what he's doing. And so he said, hey, this is a problem. Um, and he found Neil, who at that time was the uh, wonderful executive director of Memory Keepers Medical Discovery Team, built it to what it is. And they they started talking and contacted me about connections to tribal leadership, and we got the connections. And you know, there's this trust you have to earn with us, and but we know it automatically in our heart. It's kind of like that same spiritual thing. You know, we know these things exist, and it's kind of hard to say how can other people not not feel these things, such as the dreams, such as knowing. It's exciting. It's long overdue. I, I really want to uh, go back a little bit, but it's not really going back. It's like continuing this conversation. This conversation is was meant to be had, but also in the Western world, the mentality of, of what what's acceptable as culture, and without us dealing having to deal with the, the aspects of our cultures are being canceled as we go along as Native people anyway. Um, that. What brings us closer is what happens in in on the Ojibwe, the Medewin lodges, and with the Lakota, the Hambleacha, the vision questing. So that vision questing or that visitation into other dimensions starts early and young, so we can understand that the maturity of um, our spiritual aspects, I would suppose, and how to accept even the the easement, um, the death more acceptable. That it's all part of life rather than trying to avoid it because we didn't, we couldn't envision this this lifetime we're supposed to live. So when we go back to our, our cultures and, you know, I think about what kind of questions would we ask, would you ask of, and would Neil ask of these elders and, you know, are they, did you see the UFO or, you know, things like that? Very base questions or very elementary questions but yet it seems to be there's has to be a more uh, uh, in-depth question so that they can consider answering in a respectable way i have not been uh i've traveled with neil a lot and i did um where i started um my work i i never experienced him speaking 
Um, I have experience talking to um, elders and other people about who are caring about the conversations we have with each other, which it is a conversation. It's an observation. Um, it's a conclusion. And perhaps it's Neil also mentioned this, and I should say this, when they have these and they go to a conventional doctor, which now they're going to read this, hopefully, they do, they do read these, um, they will prescribe an antipsychotic automatically to stop these things. How does that sound, huh? Stop your spiritual quest. I can't even imagine that in my life um, and have never been able to imagine that. Um, and, but with this understanding, those questions they're asking are going to remain. Okay. So we're going to remain with the regular dementia, um, questionnaire, um, perhaps at some point, a develop one that has a broader understanding for our cultures, but, um, there we have a very sufficient one that exists. It's more than the questionnaire. It is the knowing based on the article and i i did talk to dr will earlier and i said you know i can't wait till you till you are on that lecture place talking to all our people talking to the doctors telling them that this needs to we can't have that on top of what else is going on is there dementia maybe maybe there's something else going on too but don't we can't be prescribed the antipsychotic and i would say Probably in all cases, I've heard of some severe cases of individuals having Alzheimer's disease in their family and severe things happening, such as they leave, they wander off, they are a danger to themselves and they need constant supervision. Um, but that doesn't mean you prescribe them an antipsychotic to take away their um, part of their life that will exist and always exists. You are listening to First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasin Ghost Horse. We'll be back with part two with the interview with Anna Marie Hill. Stay with us.
And we rejoin Anna Marie Hill discussing an article released in October of 23 regarding Alzheimer's and this dementia among Native people. And if it really is viewed without cultural context involved or taken into consideration. Now back to that interview. And thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. So, which takes takes me back to another question. You know, they heard the saying, takes a village to raise a child. So I'm thinking a little deeper here from when, when I talk with my elders back home, especially when I used to talk to my mom quite more often than I did, is that she said, no, she said, son, that's not it. It takes the land to raise a child. So when I heard that, it was like, oh, how did one grow up? And how are we not growing up when we're not connected or in relationship with land? The horses, the, the you know, the surrounding so-called environment. Maybe in a sense, Native people knowing the land, or this is not conjecture or just because you can actually watch Native people having to go to nature because that's where we come from. Whereas the Western mind are, is keeping us sequestered in this, this block mentality that we can only get a resource from that while taking the resources, taking the source of life and commodifying everything. So when they, when you said that they're taking this anti-psychotic drug, it's like, oh yeah, they have to stop that. They have to stop us from being spiritual because if we're not spiritual, then we'll, we can be easily religious. On top of um, uh, the, the most important thing, I think, arguably to anyone's life, and one of the reasons, and the reason that um, my mother is not Native, um, you probably let, she's a Finlander, um, and so she's a very unique person. She's very human rights, very unique. Um, taught me a lot. But one of the things she said, which ties into this, I always told, I would think about that. She said, if we take away freedom, okay, so it's freedom of religion is stated, okay, in this country, you take that away, that one thing away, you might as well say goodbye. Because you know why? People outside in that other box, they equate religion with spirituality. So the dictates, whether wrong or not, we know so many things taught in the modern day evangelical church or church setting, which we grew up in. We grew up in that sort of setting um, in our small white town. Uh, we know their teachings are completely off. And but the other world that that dominant society controls us. So someone gets in charge and says, well, the rest of you got to go because you don't believe like I believe. Which, if you look at the war in the histories of the wars, they say that they're they're directed by by God, and I would say you're not directed by the Creator because He's not going around killing anyone. And I honestly, that's my belief. I agree, but the connection, our connections are so fractured. I think about my very connection, living in the city, um, living in a suburb. Actually, I chose a place. Um, I was fortunate when my daughter got sick to move back here. So I was here and during COVID. But I choose strategically what I'm looking at because I'm in an apartment now so I can see only a view of the forest. So I'm in the city. 
And so I can walk out and do this, you know, live a little bit like I, I lived growing up, which was very connected and always out, out outdoors, um, either lying around or <laughs> riding my horse and our connection to land but we we are disconnected from the land we've it's insane the older i get the more insane it is that uh for instance red lake um occupies owns the majority of the northwest angle up there you know that weird piece of land way up there most people don't know that but when I was lobbying and working with the government and, and working on a concept, we were working on an international park concept at that time. Um, the biggest worry was mosquitoes and swampland. But we owned all this land. But we didn't own any lakeshore. We don't own the lakeshore. So all the colonial people, all the people that came in and pushed us aside, they owned the Have you ever gone on and looked at those houses on the lake? You know, with so we own uh, what is it 90 percent, eighty to ninety percent of that territory. That's ours. That's our people. Well, arguably, this is all ours. Um, but we don't own any lakeshore. I go around here. I go walk around the lake. I can't go on the beaches. I mean, the older I get, the more insane that is. Disconnection from our own land. And then we point the finger at other countries or other people and say, you know, you can't do that to those people, but. The very thing happens here. That disconnection and that severing is 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 leading to all of those things that happen to our people. But the other world is in their box. You get, you know, it's in the. It, uh, no one is in the box. You you can stay in the box if you want. You know, have your boring, boring life and sit in your box and it's all scripted. I don't like that, but we aren't. But, you know, I I just, I still grieve for those things, but I still get yeah. to work on them. Yeah. I still have my tribe all the time. One more question is, um, you mentioned your mother mentioned something about the freedom of religion. If that's taken away, then basically it's going to be skewed after that. Freedom of religion really isn't a true act because it hasn't allowed Native people to access that the spirituality, and the spirituality is a land. So therefore, you know, a lot of people, uh, Native people give up and go back into the religious aspect of what spirit's supposed to be about. And that seems to be, again, commodified, if not just put into the duality of heaven and hell, or, you know, you have to be a heretic somehow and choose one side or the other. We're, we are kind of leaving out nature to make decisions also, because inherently that's what she does. She gives us food, gives us water, heat, whenever we, you know, and she never gives up asking, uh, giving to us. But we forgot to ask. So I think um, you talked about the boxes. It's more, again, we're being dis misdiagnosed in, in the aspects of spirituality, which is leading to this report saying there needs to be more studies if not more experience with native people seeing envisioning the visions and and seeing what cannot be explained within that box wow that's a lot of words there yeah i think in the broader perspective and coming from my mother of course she's you know fin finnish so she's mm -hmm. she's uh, uh different um she would say she wasn't Okay, let's just say that he's pretty feisty, 92-year-old and got a good brain um, and pretty 
pretty darn smart too. But I, I think what she's talking about in the context of that is that that's their vision for justifying killing you, for justifying taking over, for justifying conquering you. It was a justification when they came here and they said that this is what uh, their God, Jesus Christ, would want, which is completely inaccurate if you study um, anything about that history. That's complete misrepresentation, but the justification. People justify what they're doing because they say, you know, God told me to do this, you know. And 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 that one little thing, uh, yeah. We when was the Freedom of Religion Act? It was quite late, wasn't it? I know Citizen Act was for us was 1924. I mean, that's insane. I mean, a bird so insane. So these things are mind blowing. But the Freedom of Religion Act was it the 70s? What it was late, ridiculously late. And we've all experienced that the, our ceremonies, our saging, our smudging, our um, anything, which is similar to the churches out there, the the people that are doing out there. I mean, all the church ladies are taking out their essential oils and potions and they're doing all their healing. Okay, why are we, you know, heathens and why are we heretics? And why is it that scene? Because you know why I think, and the disconnection from the land, and this is just a brief, you know why. Um, mm -hmm. Our disconnection from the land, we can't feel it so much. We can't feel it so much. We get sick, we can't feel it. I'm disconnected, I can't feel it. You know, I, I don't even do things like, well, I'm not going to do it today. It's about 30 degrees, but go outside and walk barefoot. Yeah. Afraid I'm going to step on something. That's going to hurt me, you know, because it's all everywhere, the destruction. We can't feel it, but we are feeling it. You know, our our Mother Earth and our creation is going to rebel and is rebelling naturally. Mm. I, I would rebel against somebody who could continually uh, uh, tore me down, too. I do. I do. Right. We do. And that's part of our that's a part of who we are, the greater understanding. The mm -hmm. best thing an elder told me years ago when I was in this, okay, the debate of um, all these fabulous debates of politics and beliefs and religions and spirituality, you got to consider all of that when you're lobbying. You got to consider the whole picture. That's what helped me, the whole picture. Um, uh, elder said, well, the creator is a, a a mystery it's a great mystery it's the greatest mystery and that's yes and and the mystery um and and so if we accept on any realm that there is that mystery of the creation that the creator that we can't see how can we not accept that somebody has visions somebody like me i can't tell people what i experienced after my daughter passed i can tell liz I can tell my kids, I can tell my people in Red Lake, they nod their head like you. Of course, yeah. you did. And this is why, and that's healing, not giving me an anti-psychotic, for God's sakes. I would say it is about community, but community-isms, what we're going through is, one of my elders would say, tink tinker, and community-ism, and to add to your story, my grandfather who was born in the late in the 1800s. Um, would dig a hole in South Dakota where there were the dams after TVA came through Tennessee Valley Authority. Well, they would take one of these dams, and there was water in there. In the winter time, he would dig a hole in the ice, take his soap, and jump in for 20 minutes and scrub. And that's how hardy that generation was. 
this is how far we've gotten away. Good talking with you. Um, yeah. And so good talk to, talking to you, get that perspective. Thank you for being part of that study. And thanks to Neil. I do want to say that it is the study currently in Minnesota. And um, it's funded for the tribe, American Indian tribes, people um, 55 and older. We have people from South Dakota. We have people from uh, someone from uh, New Mexico, Arizona, who came and asked a tribal leader, actually, um, from one of the places there. And they said and, and there is no restriction on that. There's no restriction on that. So one of the ladies, she was 83. She came from Rosebud and she she drove. She drove all the way and um, she drives and she's driven twice to see me to come visit. Um, and she's just as, you know, just as capable as ever. She, oh, my body is slowing, but I'm a lobbyist too, she says, and I'm starting my own nonprofit. I don't like this sitting around. And what a beautiful thing. Huh? Isn't that typical? Of our people. I, th- I just found that really typical. We're not going to sit around and just like, <laughs> you know, or go like, that's good i like that thank you uh oh man would end up thinking i i start laughing at the end of an interview but this is great <laughs> well you know there's many things to laugh about and many things to have fun about and i tell you what you come down to that i would love you to come visit I would love you to come down there and visit. Um, you come down to that Minnesota Chippewa tribe, which Red Lake's not a part of, but you come down to that building in one of the roughest parts of Minneapolis on a Tuesday and sit there with all of us. Boy, I tell you, there's the laughter. People coming in, people coming in to see Will now. But yeah. there's Denise, the cook, she usually makes a huge meal. Boy, does she love serving us. And we come in and we eat and we laugh and we talk. And that's the extent of my hard work being a community mm, collaborator. That's great. Not, I have to convince people that this is the right thing to do, but I can because it, I believe it. It is the right thing to do. Okay. I believe so. Thank you so much for being here. It's an honor having you on First Voices Radio and thanks for, for just the conversation. Sure. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And thanks goes to Anna Marie Hill and taking time for joining us here on First Voices Radio. And thanks goes to Anna Marie Hill, who is an enrolled member of the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation in Minnesota. She currently works for the University of Minnesota Medical School's Duluth campus as a strategy and outreach director and is part of the Manti Lab, a research team led by neurologist and dementia specialist, Dr. William Manti. We discussed the article written in October 2023, which he co-authored, Characteristics of Recurrent Visions of the Non-Physical World Among Cognitively Unimpaired Elders of the Ojibwe Nation. And you can find the article in the JAMA Network Open 2023 under jamanetwork.com released October 18th of 2023. Again, thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio.
Gopta Nankapiki Hai. First Forces Radio, Wopilatanka. We appreciate you all for listening. And and we don't have a word for goodbye in Lakota. But we do say this. Meaning I'll see you again eventually, but surely. My name is Teokasan Ghost Horse. You have been listening to First Voices Radio. Thank you.